Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for September 27th, 2020, uh, proper 21, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. For those of you keeping score at home. Right, for those of you keeping score, <laughs> which I'm sure you all are. Um, uh, Bruce, how are you doing today? Good. I'm, I'm in a baseball mood is why I use that, that phrase. Oh. The last week of the so-called regular season. So this is high holy days for baseball fans. It's so weird. I None of that had even registered with me <laughs> that we were there yet for baseball. Um, apparently, I guess football started, we're, but we're yeah. still in 2020, so I it, what does it matter? Um, <laughs> I think all sports titles will have like this giant asterisk for 2020. Well, like Their title was won in 2020, so if they're not your favorite team... Um, doesn't matter. Kind of does a half. <laughs> Well, you know, one day my wife walked in while I was watching a baseball game on TV and she said, don't you feel guilty watching these men put their lives at risk for your entertainment? <laughs> like, well, not till now. <laughs> hey, what's the risk? I mean, the outfielder has like, you know, 120 feet uh, of separation. <laughs> and, then, and then I told her she should be happy because they did ban spitting this year. <laughs> As a, her biggest yeah. objection to watching baseball it, is the close-ups of spitting. It should not have taken a pandemic. I'm yes. just saying. <laughs> yeah, she didn't think it was that high of an achievement either. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know you're a hockey fan. The only time they spit then is when it's to get rid of extra teeth. <laughs> yeah, they, they do an inordinate amount of that as well. And onto the ice, which just super... That part super grosses me out. But, uh, so... Uh, Thanks for joining us at Sports yeah! Talk. Um, <laughs> Once again, we are <laughs> we are coming to you not live on behalf of Holy Family Episcopal Church in Fishers, Indiana. And one would think that that would mean that things like this would get cut from the uh, the final product. But where's the fun in that? There, there's no fun in that. And I really want you to get the feeling of exactly what our conversations are like. Um, so before we get to the lectionary readings for today, uh, we're going to do the, um, the word of the day. And I will tell you, Bruce, uh, I, I was very tempted to do a discussion on two H words uh, uh, in the dictionary, but I decided not to because they, were, they, they would take up way too much time. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, if you have the time, go out to the uh, dictionary on EpiscopalChurch.org and look at the words heaven and hell. Oh, yeah. And see what the quote-unquote official definition, according to the Episcopal Church, is. It is honestly a very fast, like we could do a whole series oh, on... yeah. We could probably do a whole set episode on one word, one word, and a whole episode on another, and then a whole episode on how they work in conjunction with each other. Um, Times two, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, fascinating stuff. Really wish uh, uh, we had time to get into that, but uh, that's my my homework for the week. Uh, I encourage you to go do that. Uh, but no, Bruce, um, I chose uh, this week to do a word that uh, we talk a lot about, uh, which is heresy. Ah, love a good heresy. There you go. And and I can't remember honestly if I've chosen this one before. So uh, uh, apologies if like thirty six weeks ago uh, <laughs> I did heresy, or maybe a year and a half ago. But this is this one is so 
interesting to me to see because we talk about it a lot or it's a, a word that seems familiar but uh there's a specific definition to it uh that, that i that i think is interesting and worth talking about so oh okay so no pressure um i'll go with a teaching that's in contradiction of church doctrine hmm <clears throat> what's interesting um What's interesting about that, yes, it is a it is a church doctrine. It's not necessarily, uh, or at least in this definition, it doesn't necessarily include the word teaching. Um, so the way okay. that they define yeah. this might be a little bit more um, of a personal, individual, like individualized uh, uh, issue as as seen by church doctrine. Um, but the term is derived from the Greek uh, heresis, which means choice or, cho or thing chosen, which I thought was interesting, which also yeah. leads me to uh, believe that it is more of an individual practice kind of a thing instead of a teaching because it, it shows choice. Um, yes. That, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that... that <laughs> Aren't I nice to approve of the Episcopal Dictionary? But yes, that makes a lot more sense to me than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, then let's go with theirs. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the the website's definition uh, identifies heresy as the sin of a baptized and professing Christian who denied uh, a defined doctrine of the faith. Um. So it's it's uh it shows both that uh, the the member needs to be part of that is part of that practicing faith, and clearly understands um, mm -hmm. what the the doctrine is, and then uh, um, intentionally defies it. Um, it does go on to identify that heresy is distinguished from apostasy. Uh, which is the abandonment of the church by one who denies the church's teaching. Um, which is more what I was talking... Right. My definition is closer to that. Yeah, Yeah, your definition was closer to apostasy. Uh, and both of those are identified separate from a schism, mm -hmm. which is the fracturing of a church over doctrine uh, that essentially would then uh, result in two functioning subgroups or, or 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 effectively really more uh, eliminating um, one of those groups from that doctrine and creating a new doctrine um, but uh, many of the classical formulations of the Christian faith were made by ecumenical councils in response to beliefs that were later judged to be heretical so um, <laughs> uh, one of the other key features in this definition that seems to be uh, identified is most of it is uh, really more looking back in time, and uh, one of the so that's one of the other things that needs to be that ends up getting baked into the equation is time reveals um, yeah. things to be heretical um, um, as well. Uh, so maybe not so much in the moment, but maybe maybe there was thought uh, thought that it was heretical, and then later decided by uh, a council. Um, but uh, but I found that interesting since I always find the the heresies and uh, uh, apostasies and, and schisms to be uh, interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I do find that those kind of things so interesting is it does accentuate um, individuality within organized church religion, which is one of those things that I think uh, we get uh, as as organized religion kind of a bad rap for of of stamping uh, those kinds of things out and not encouraging um, personal choices, personal beliefs, uh, and and forcing people to march to the same beat of the drum. Um, and I think to be fair, these words do point out that yeah, that thing, kind of, that kind of thing, <laughs> does exist, or at least, or at least did, uh, at least did exist. Um, well, and one of the things in the Episcopal Church is that with with that, when we're aware of that history, which is most of the time, of looking back and saying, oh, that was or that wasn't, we tend to be very humble about using the present tense, so to speak, and saying, oh, that is a heresy that's happening mm-hmm. down the street. Because we know part of the accurate evaluation comes only with time, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Some of the so, some of the, uh, the the things that we uh, you know believe this day and age might have been thought to be heretical at one point in time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you believe in you know uh, you believe in this, you believe in that. That's that's outlandish. You know, outrageous. How dare you? Well, uh, even even today, the low hanging fruit on that, <clears throat> uh, on those examples, is the ordination of women. Yeah, within absolutely. the Episcopal Church, which is now uh, really anyone who's in the Episcopal Church at least tolerates it, if not supports it. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, but in the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox churches, that would be considered heretical. Yeah, uh, same with uh with uh, married individuals or oh yeah, uh, yeah. Or, in the Ro- with the Romans yeah or or divorced individuals uh <laughs> having having their own difficult uh, difficulties as, as a result of a um, more of, of a heretical view like it's just you know there, there's tons of things yeah. that, that we probably take for granted in modern day religion uh, that at one point in time would have uh, been carefully considered by such ecumenical councils. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and that's, and in all honesty, that's one of the examples that, I mean, one of the arguments that um, within the Episcopal Church and, and outside it that people used against the ordination of women is that it needs the approval of an ecumenical council because it is so different. And we haven't had, uh, within Chris, Christianity, we haven't had a decent ecumenical council in hundreds of years. So that it was kind of a, you know, that'd be nice if we could do it, but we don't seem to do that anymore. (laughs) Right. The mechanism is gone. What can you do? Shrug your shoulders. Um, Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, it's just, like I said, it's one of those things. uh, um, I I know some people uh, are a little bit of afraid of, of even discussing these types of things, it's like practicing the dark arts uh, <laughs> for, for, for some. Um, but uh, if, you're, if you're like me, you find it fascinating um, uh, some of those individual um, reviews of, of uh, one's faith that uh, maybe, you know, at one point in time, contrary uh, or contradictory uh, to uh, the, the, the teachings of the time, but you can kind of see um, how some of those personal beliefs uh, uh, 
um, informed their, you know, those individuals' very existence and, and how they viewed the world. Yeah. Uh, and highlighting those kind of things is a... Uh, it's very interesting to me because it does humanize and personalize uh, um, uh, our walk with God in, in such a way that I that I think is is interesting. Um, Definitely. Um, but um, I'm a little bit of a church nerd, so maybe <laughs> maybe that doesn't hold true for our all our audience. Uh, and there's someone there um, screaming into their headset <laughs> right now. <laughs> And uh, feel free to call me an idiot. I have been called that before. Hey, that's um, why we have an email address. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> feel free to at me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, I guarantee you, what would become what would come of it is a is a fun uh, um, conversation, at least on my part. Um, I would I would I would be I would have a lot of fun uh, discussing that with people. Um, so. Before we commit any heresies, why don't we move on to, <laughs> to our lectionary uh, reading? Worst today. segue ever for a Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I could have done heaven and hell. That's uh, true. <laughs> um, and you want to talk about uh, uh, areas uh, ripe for for potential uh, um, um, perceived, at least, heresies. Uh, and tacky segues. T- tackle tackle that t- uh, topic. Uh, uh, with uh, with boldness. Um, so our first reading today is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter eighteen, verse one through four, and then we do one of those yada yada yadas and <laughs> uh, skip ahead to verse twenty five through thirty two. So that reading reads this way: The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Know that all lives are mine. The life of the parent as well as the life of the child is mine. It is only the person who sins that shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is unfair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfamiliar? When the righteous turn away from their righteousness and commit iniquity, they shall die for it. For the iniquity that they have committed, they shall die. Again, when the wicked turn away from the wickedness that they have committed and do what is lawful and right, they shall save their life. Because they considered and turned away from the transgressions that they had committed, they shall surely live, they shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is unfair. O house of Israel, are my ways unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, all of you according to your ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, otherwise iniquity will be ruined. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn, then, and live. So, Bruce, let's uh, let's tackle the, 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 the big question first. Ezekiel. What do we know about Ezekiel? What do we know about this book? Well, um, you may remember from a couple weeks ago that he's a prophet writing... Um, around the time of 
Israel being freed from Babylonia, heading back to the Holy Land. Um, so is sort of a rough contemporary of Jeremiah and um, Isaiah, uh, and tackles very very similar themes. Um, not identical though, so he get, does get his own book. Um, and one of the things that he does is, for lack of a better term, helps reform um, Jewish theology. Hmm. I mean, he's he's a he's a major player in shifting, or either shifting or revealing. That's you know something that's happened um, a few thousand years ago. It's hard to say which it was, but either revealing or shifting theology. So that uh, by the time we're done with Ezekiel reading the book, we realize that Judaism and Christianity have now um, started to overlap lots and lots mm. and lots. In some ways, he sets, helps set the stage like Isaiah and Jeremiah did for the coming of the Christ. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I notice a little bit in the style of his writing, I kind of feel as though... Um, the way he writes this, I get hints of it's like a it's like a wine tasting. I'm getting hints of Paul. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if that if we had any idea if uh, this was an influential book for Paul. I know it would have obviously been influential societally speaking. Um, um, but I was wondering if we had any idea if he kind of took a cue from the style of of Ezekiel. I, I gotta, I just have to say, I don't know for sure. Uh, okay. But, yeah, certainly just reading uh, longer passages out of Ezekiel, they, they sound very, very similar to Paul's uh, theological argument style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I would, they certainly come from the same school of thought as to how do you explain things. Yeah, yeah, a, a little repetitive, I would say. Ezekiel's oh, a lot not, repetitive. That's why yeah. we have a yada 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 this morning. Oh, is, is it really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was, that, that's gonna. That was gonna be my next question. Was uh the yada yada yada? Uh, what what are we skipping? What are we cutting out? Just uh, Ezekiel's circular thought pattern, or yeah, that he he goes around and around and around. Maybe not around's the right word, but again and again and again on um the. Each person is responsible for his or her own behavior, and that God is not going to evaluate, evaluate us by past generations. Hmm. And, yeah, so, yeah okay. so that so that stated um, with a with a set of verses we have this morning, it, it's it's laid out. But you could you get you would get a if you read the in between part, you get a whole um, meditation on the Ten Commandments, for instance, hmm. and. You know, so he, he takes the classics <laughs> and says, yeah, you know, basically, okay, I'm going to be very um, disrespectful here. <laughs> Surprise. Okay, begin right now. And says, you know, e even if your grandparents violated every Ten Commandment, that does not affect your relationship with God. Hmm. Which, yeah, as you point out, is, is kind of a different perspective than... Mm -hmm. um, then I think a lot of us know from some Old Testament writings, right? You know, somewhere in the back of our minds is something about, you know, the sins being carried down to the, you know, to the yeah uh, 
future generations, to the children of the children of children of, of, of you know, you that you'll be born out for seven generations. And um, yeah, and that that the most famous ones from Exodus, Exodus, yeah, uh, chapter twenty. And one of the things to keep in mind um, is that therefore it comes from uh, the first portion of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, mm-hmm. and which the the what's a good term to use the um, I'll just have to use multiple words the more traditional a Jewish person is the more likely they're going to emphasize those opening books of the Hebrew scriptures including Exodus Mm -hmm. and the less likely they are to emphasize the prophets or the writings um, as they're called which would include Ezekiel, that it's, that it's clear to anyone who reads it that there's a huge difference between Exodus 20 and Ezekiel 18, and whenever that occurs for someone very, very traditional in the Jewish tradition, they go with the Exodus part, hmm. with, with the Exodus approach. And that's a minority within current Judaism, by the way. But it's very much um, like in current Christianity, where we... Um, have arguments about which books are supposed to be primary of the New Testament, yeah. Let alone where the Hebrew scriptures are supposed to come into play. Uh, so again, this is is revealing or giving a new way of seeing that relationship with God, and Judaism feels that change. It's not something they just go, "Oh no, no, no it's just a misunderstanding in this one or that one." It's like, yeah, that's different. That's really different. Yeah. And there's no reason for us not to, therefore, as Christians, to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I think it's important for us to identify uh, and, and uh, change and be open to it. Um, otherwise, we would have a very different uh, belief structure than we do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going, to, I mean, we kind of covered it, but I was going to ask, uh, uh, jokingly, but actually in all seriousness, uh, it starts out a, a, a way that definitely does grab me, uh, because I'm right there with the reader. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I think as you alluded to, so this is th- this proverb means what the parents do, the children uh, inherit the consequences of. Yeah, they experience it. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah. You drink, you know, I drank sour lemonade, and in California, suddenly my son's mouth is going. Whoa! Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and obviously, you know, obviously, part of it is that often the children's teeth are set on edge after their parents have died, since lifespans were somewhat shorter than today. Hmm. Hmm. So some, you know, so that it was really significant that. Mom and dad didn't have a lot of time to get right with God anyway. And yeah. so, you know, when they suddenly dropped dead, then the children were stuck with whatever um, sin obligations they thought the parents were carrying. Yeah, that would be, uh, what a, I mean, it's hard for me to put myself in such a mindset, but, you know, what a terrible structure to find yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You're not only uh, carrying the sin of all your forefathers, uh, but you're also probably going to die soon. So, yeah. 
<laughs> get busy. Um, I don't know. Is it? I mean, how do you how do you uh, how do you feel like you've done a good job in such a such a setting? Um, uh, especially if you can't, you know, if the sin is, you know, passed down, was the belief structure that uh, that a generation would have to counteract it in some way, shape, or form, or was that sin just perpetual? Well, what one of the interesting things is that if we really then and now looked at like the Exodus passage. What it's trying to do, I think poetically, is drive home how important ethical behavior is. Mm. So it's it's not so much the, oh my goodness, dad swore a lot, but instead more of the cosmic, what are we going to do about global warming? Yeah. That um, you have to set up a just society and... Again, at the time, all law was religious law. You have mm-hmm. to set up and live out a just society in order for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to have any kind of decent life. Yeah, and I, I suppose to, to take a, to take it back to um, societal woes at, at you know maybe at the time early on in human existence, if um, uh, a family was a family of marauders and the you know the children grew up in a society where they regularly uh, um, came ac- came upon people and killed them and stole what they had it would that kind of thing would be um, perpetually handed down it would take generations yeah. to to move away from um, such upbringing because you're brought up and this is hey this is the way that the world works and mm-hmm. uh, as your parent this is all you get to see um, uh, so it would be, uh, it would be definitely something, there would be a lot of things that were, would hand down generation to generation, just simply, especially as you pointed out with short lifespans, there wouldn't be much time to grow older and wiser uh, yeah. and experience more. It was, it was, it would have been a lot more, uh, uh abrupt and, and, uh, you get kicked, kicked out into the real world really, really early on. Yeah, yeah, and not much time to to shift how the world is working in right. the in the ways that God calls humans repeatedly to to shift towards greater justice and equality and love and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um anything else before we move on to Philippians? Oh, there's so much, but just time doesn't allow for it. Very true. Uh, so as I crack the whip, let's move to <laughs> Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than our sorry as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him 
and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, I think we had covered this last week. Pauline letter to the Philippians, or mm-hmm. to, to, to Philippi, to the, to the church of Philippi. Right. Um, written during a period of time where he was imprisoned. Right. Uh, tail end of his life. Uh, I don't think he got out of prison after writing this letter, we believe, right? Well, we, we don't know. Okay. Um, he was in and out of prison repeatedly. Uh, once, once he became a public Christian... He was often imprisoned by the Romans as he moved around the empire. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, this um, this reads like a prayer. Um, You're close. Close. It's a hymn. A hymn. Yeah. Which is which is which is everyone knows that's a prayer. <laughs> um, no, I got. Yeah. Well, so explain te- explain the difference though. I mean, it, why don't we do that? Um, the difference between a hymn and a prayer. Okay, this this is going to sound really disrespectful to all musicians in the world. Okay. Um, Careful. A prayer, <laughs> uh, yeah. A prayer, the words are very carefully chosen. Mm. And, I mean, a written formal liturgical prayer. They are very carefully chosen and they're um, you know, discussed for days on end about whether they're heretical or not, to go back to our word of the day. Yeah, they're decided by ecumenical councils. Right. Whereas hymns, there's poetic license at times. Hmm. Okay. So we can, in, in the Episcopal tradition, we can build theology off the prayers in the Book of Common Prayer because they have been so carefully vet, composed and vetted. Whereas um, hymns, we can't, we're not allowed to do that. Hmm. So when we, when we pray our individual prayers and they're not patterned after prayers with a capital P, is it more of it? Are we actually conducting a hymn? We can be. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, and, and when you say hymn, I think poem. Okay. Uh, Right, right, right. Because I know a lot of people who pray beautifully, spontaneously, in a poetic form. And and sometimes to fit the form, then you know, I'm not going to worry too much about what each individual word is saying. Whereas mm-hmm. if someone writes down a prayer, hands it to me, and says, I think you should pray this every day, I'm going to look at it carefully. And right. say, yeah, I don't know about this word you chose. Um, that, frankly, that's why it's so helpful that in the gospel we have the Lord's Prayer from Jesus, and that's okay. That's one we can pretty much all agree on, um, with just a little translation discussion here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, that's been a lifesaver in terms. Eh, that's a exaggeration. Frankly, it's made a lot of it, 
ecumenical service is much easier to compose because we just take right. a few seconds on which translation lords prayer we're going to say together and then move on. Right, right, right. To fight about what hymns we're going to sing. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Hey, uh, so I wanted to ask, because um, I feel like this is done a lot in Paul's letters. Um, when he's doing this portion of the discussion, which he does about midway through this reading, uh, talking about Christ and uh, basically summarizing uh, uh, the story of Christ, um, he, I feel like he often says, uses the phrase, um, uh, uh, Maybe not the exact phrase that's used here in verse 8, but he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Am I wrong in that I've heard even death on a cross uh, multiple times in in writings? I To throw a curveball at you? <laughs> um, I You have heard it multiple times. Okay. I started to answer and I realized it won't make sense now, but just say yes. So yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Um, at least five other times he uses the phrase uh, in the various letters that we attribute to him that almost certainly are his. He any, uses any a lot why? in Corinthians, for instance. Hmm? Yeah, even any, any idea why? Yeah, because he's trying to drive home that Christ was willing to die in the way that we consider in our world to be the most horrible. Hmm. That you know, dying on a cross for people who were residents of the Roman Empire was as bad as it got. Yeah. Uh, okay. And okay. yeah, and in some ways we become uh, sore and numb to it at times as mm -hmm. Christians. But for the people who were exploring Christianity or were early Christians, it was huge. And just like. Well, literally for people who were not uh, eyewitnesses, for some of them, it was impossible to believe that mm. if Jesus was indeed um, a part of God, it was impossible to believe that God would go through that. Because it was just, no one would go through that willingly. And that's right. what Paul reflects on many, many times in his letters is, yeah, God did choose to go through this willingly. Hmm. And the other thing to, to, that may help with this, um, trying to put our minds around how terrible it was, in our traditional gospel readings, we tend to um, say Jesus died after about three hours. And by the various historical accounts and such that we have about people being crucified, it, it often took a lot longer than that. That was a very slow and agonizing and public death. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that that uh, I think that does get lost a lot uh, a lot of times. Um, um, the the brutality of it. I think also, correct me if I'm wrong, but there there would have been like a form of there's kind of a form of humiliation that comes oh, along huge. with that too. Yeah, that yeah. that um, to to die this way so publicly is not only the the method is not only so. Um, um, Cruel and drawn out and and horrific, but that it 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 creates kind of like a a public shaming as well. And family members would have 
uh, carried uh, to kind of go back to to the first reading would have kind of carried that uh, moniker with them. If yeah, I'm not mistaken, it would have it would have been hugely embarrassing to anyone he was related to. Yeah, and especially if they were trying to make their way politically or economically within the Roman systems. Mm. Yeah, you didn't want on your resume that dad had been crucified. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so people which, tried to avoid it for all sorts of reasons, all of them understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to take a <laughs> a dark turn that's uh, on, a, on a passage that, that begins with, uh, with, with you know, um, Promoting the concept of love and and uh, uh, caring for others uh, more than you care about yourself. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and and, um, and again, Paul uses Jesus willing to die on a cross as as an ultimate expression of how much he lived for others. Right. Yeah, I suppose I suppose in a way it's fair because Paul uses that uh, you know that this reference to juxtapose uh, what it is he begins talking about. Um, um, it would, it, it, for the audience at the time, you know, discussion about um, di- death on a cross would have been um, un- un- and potentially uncomfortable subject for them to discuss uh, or even think about. Um, yeah, especially since, and one of the things that, that's really mind-blowing if you can get yourself into the space is how Christianity did succeed in spreading even as it had as its central event something so horrendous. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like you say, a lot of people just would not want to hear about it, talk about it, be associated with it. And yet here we are today, you know, 2,000 years later, with Christianity being pretty vibrant and lively and um, available to the world. Yeah. Um, what about... Um I think we've mentioned it before. Uh, the reference uh, references to heaven and hell being uh, later additions in translation. Any idea what verse, like the 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 Greek uh, for verse ten, uh, what the what the phrasing for in heaven? Uh, um, in heaven, the the literal translation is above the sky. Above the sky. Um, okay, that's interesting. Um, and so, uh, and the hell part hell word is under the earth, right? And that that one does survive our translation. Yeah, uh, under the earth. Yeah, but um, but some some translations choose do choose to uh, translate it as hell. Okay, um, if those were not concepts that had had fully materialized at the time of writing, uh, what's the what's the idea that he's trying to put forward by saying? Um, Bending, uh, uh, you know, above the sky here on Earth and below the Earth, everywhere, um, just everywhere. Yeah, just, it's just a it's a, a poetic sense of totality. Im- yeah, it's a poetic image that um, Christ's status is absolutely everywhere hmm. and surrounds surrounds us. And again, this is this is part of the poem, and so it's understandable that it's. Poetically phrased, mm-hmm. that you know, it's the climb every mountain, or the hills are alive with the sound of music. <laughs> you, get, you know, there are more than one. Uh, <laughs> there's more than one musical out there with an inspiring song. <laughs> it's not just 
It's not just uh, the one. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, climb every mountain. Okay. Um, uh, anything, any, anything else you would want to say about uh, uh, Philippians? I mean, I think he's... He's well, uh, doing like, a good job of kind of explaining his 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 point of view and and uh, um, encouraging um, the young Christians there in in, in Philippi um, to 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 love and to to appreciate the sacrifice of God. The other the other thing just to emphasize is that verses six through eleven, being a pre-existent hymn, gives us a a little. A little window into even earlier Christian theology than Paul's. Hmm. Okay. And so it, it's really cool for people like me anyway to see back even further than what we have already written down. Hmm. Uh, and you know, Paul seems pretty ancient. <laughs> but but here <laughs> is a little just a little window into um, what came even before Paul. Right. Which which would have probably been um, first generation Christians. Yeah, that's interesting that he would have been referencing uh, something existent. Uh, yeah, one always does kind of think as Paul is more the creator of of uh, church related <laughs> right. things. Um, but he so. he had, he was formed in he was formed both in um, Judaism and then in the very early Christian um, interpretations of Judaism. Right, which didn't shift also, Judaism all that much at all. It's also it's also a good reminder that uh, the, the Christian formation does still take place in around, but without Paul. Uh, that that some of the stuff. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Know, he didn't start the church. Yeah, they're, 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 and, and not not everything that we uh, <laughs> that we refer back to is is uh, Paul breathed either. Uh, that there was there's a lot of uh, interesting and creative. And uh, prayerfully mindful um, uh, creations in the early church that uh, that we don't attribute to Paul. Um, yeah, uh, we have a we have a tendency and, to give every every credit to Paul <laughs> for a lot of things and every blame. <laughs> right, and every blame. That's true. It's a double edged sword. That's right. for sure. Um. Well, if there's nothing else, let's move on to the gospel reading. Indeed. Uh, chapter 21, verse 23 through 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will, ask, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe him. Um, this is a... Uh, this is another uh, gospel example of of uh, human testing of, of Jesus Christ. So we had the you know you have the temptation of Christ in the desert, uh, but uh, we also have examples in the gospel of, of his his testing the testing of his metal by by uh, human forces uh, kind of throughout, and um, much like the question about giving t uh, 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 taxes where he says give to Caesar to uh, what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Um, he kind of turns the question on its head here. Um, but we'll also notice he doesn't really, in a way he doesn't answer it. <laughs> he gets out uh, of, of answering it. He does kind of pivot here at the, the, the tail half, but uh, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't come right out and say the answer to their question. Even though, you know, we later, uh, um, at least, you know, centrally believe <laughs> that uh, the authority was given to him by his father, um, uh, or the father. Um, what about this interaction stands out to you well, the most here? One thing that um, is crucial to know is that this basically takes place on Palm Sunday. Oh, okay. So... Jesus has arrived at Jerusalem. He has chased the money changers out of the temple courtyard. Mm -hmm. And then these conversations start. Um, and so he's, he's cleaned the outside of the temple, the parish hall, you might say, by current church jargon. And now he enters the worship space. And then this conversation begins. Mm -hmm. Or they ask, well, what authority are you doing? Um, you know, and when they're saying, by what authority are you doing these things, they could very easily simply be referring to chasing out the unethical right. money changers. Right. Um, sadly, some Christians have thought that they were throwing shade over all of Jesus' miracles. And that's, that's not the point here. Um, mm. Instead, it, it is you know, today on Palm Sunday, why are you messing with us? Why are you literally turning over the tables in the parish hall because um, you don't think we're good enough or something? Is that it? Who, who says? And then he tells in um, the Gospel of Matthew four parables. Uh, this is just the first one we get. So he he does, he does not let him off the hook. At the <laughs> he's just yeah, yeah. He's coming at him. <laughs> Uh, what do we do? We get those later? Do we? You know, do we, I, uh, I don't. I don't know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me uh, see if they because we we have been kind of going along in yeah. order for Matthew. We do, but okay. we okay, okay. We'll 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 talk about one of those next week. Okay, um, at least one. I didn't read all of it, obviously, in the yeah. two seconds I switched to the next page. Yeah, but um, we we obviously also have skipped ahead in the narrative. That. Yeah, because before yeah, yeah. he was just on his, barely on his way to Jerusalem, and now suddenly he's gotten there, and the last week of his life has begun. Yeah, we fast forward the VCR too far. 
Rewind it. Too far. I am obviously struck at how how interesting um, it is that the question that Jesus poses throws such a wrench in their their thought process that they're not really what's interesting to me is they're not really worried about which answer is right. They're worried about the consequences of either answer. Yeah. You know, you know, there's no discussion of like, well, you know, I believe that his authority came from heaven. Oh no, I totally disagree. Right. There's no indication (laughs) that that's the discussion. It's like, well, do we want to piss off this guy or piss off the other? I don't know. (laughs) You know, Both both sound bad. Let's just say we don't know, um, uh, which is kind of interesting to me that there's no there's no argument, no discussion about you know the theological nature of the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and part of that is looking look at who these individuals are. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not the Pharisees. They're not the Sadducees. They are the chief priests and elders of the temple. And what that means is that these are quite thoroughly the stooges of the Romans. Mm. Uh, One of the great controversies at the time um, was that the Romans had put in a puppet king, Herod, and Herod had put in puppet chief priests and elders to Mm. run the temple. Since again, religion and political authority were all intermixed. Right. So um, part of what we're learning here is, if, in case we weren't aware of it, is that the people who were leading the temple were n- not particularly religious. They were they were political actors, hmm. and were very much aware of um, why they had the positions they did. Herod. The, the Roman puppet. And so they could just as easily, you know, the, the subtext here is what will Pontius Pilate want to hear? How we handled this. Interesting. And, Even though that's not captured in the gospel reading. Right. There's a third party that they're considering. And Herod is certainly in the shadows, though not literally, because Herod was the one who executed John the Baptist. Right. So, you know, Jesus knows both who these people are and why they're the, why they have the positions they do, and now he is talking about how their hypocrisy or maybe just atheism led to the death of John the Baptist. He know Jesus knows it could lead to his own death. But he's not going to play their game and say, try to save his own skin like they're trying to save their own skins. How widely known would that have been? Do you think? Uh, like, was it was it uh, one of the things that the you know general townspeople would have known, or rumors would have kind of circulated that kind of would have anybody hearing this argument, you know, maybe even from outside the slightly cracked door <laughs> to the. <laughs> It, Chief it, priests and elders' room, uh, would it, like, would that have been something they would have known, or is that was that kind of something just 
revealed by time later on. All that was very widely known at the time, and, and that's okay. one of the reasons why there was an armed revolution beginning. Okay. That the, the Jewish revolution against the Romans was in part because of the um, unqualified people who Herod had put in charge of the temple. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, so literally just people were already um, uh, forming ar an army to fight what hmm. the Romans had done in this situation. And so Jesus, yeah, anyone hearing this would go, well, yeah, we all know how Herod got his job, and we all know what he did to John the Baptist. We all know how these clowns got this job. Yeah, and cool. all this, it says, is happening at the entry to the temple. So it's very, very public. Interesting, though, that then it all really, it brings into focus how much of that structure then really does hang by a thread. Because yeah. this worry that they have, which is kind of revealed in this in this text, but would have been, you know, kind of the subject of a private conversation among them, right? Mm -hmm. or, or at least it, this is a, written down an inference of what they would have talked about. If they know, and the people know, <laughs> then the answer, your answer to this question actually should, in theory, matter very little because uh, they already know that you uh, are kind of a sham, and you either you either knew uh, that he that John the Baptist uh, was was a kind of a, an appointed herald of God, uh, and you were complicit in his. Uh, uh, in ignoring him and his eventual death, or uh, you uh, never believed it in the first place because you're a sham group of people, uh, and uh, um, we already then you you're not fit to lead our church. Like everybody already kind of knows. <laughs> that guy kind of knows yeah. this. Uh, uh, so it's kind of interesting how how. Um, all parties being in on it, uh, uh, the structure still stands for the time being. Well, and part again. Remember, this is um, you know five days before Jesus dies, mm -hmm. and so I think part of the reason for this to occur here, and it occurs in the same spot in the Gospel of Luke, the two places it occurs, is that it sets it sets all of the gears moving towards Jesus being crucified. Gotcha. That the, 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 the fake the these unfaithful religious slash legal leaders are not going to stand up to Rome. Gotcha. And they don't they don't give two hoots about what's best for Israel, let alone what God wants them to do. They're the the only audience that matters is Harold is Herod, and mm -hmm. behind Herod stands Pontius Pilate. Right. So this is either the 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 first real domino to fall, or this instance is the revelation that the uh, thread of the sweater has already begun to be pulled. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. That that we're already going down a path that that. That uh, in a way is a, the, the the end result is inevitable. Um, I won't say inevitable, but Jesus knows very well that if he continues this path, he's going to die. 
And as I said, he, he repeats what he, the message from this parable three more times. So you know, he doesn't back off in the least. <laughs> right, right, right. And obviously the, you know, the point of the parable is it's the action that matters, not the, not, not saying that you're going to do it if you don't ever do, you do something. Yeah. Um, and so when so. he's talking to a, a group of people that are faithless figureheads, so you know, they perform the rituals, but have right. no belief in them. And because if they did, they knew they wouldn't be qualified to do them then that's a very direct indictment of the priests and elders in the temple. Right, right, right. So in, in addition to it being kind of a parable, it's also very clearly, or it seems to me that he's very clearly putting uh, the direct audience here in one of these camps in the parable. Like, mm -hmm. you, are, you are this other son. Well, I'm talking about you. Yeah, and he's particularly talking to people who carry authority in the name of God, but, you know, so they, they say the right prayers, so to speak, um, say the right things, but then don't do anything. Don't, don't do anything to love neighbor itself and that sort of thing. And that they're actually worse in so many ways than people outside the church who live good lives and love their neighbor as themselves, even if they aren't quite sure who God is. Right. Even if they're, even if they're members of the, the more uh, looked down upon members of society, which is why he mm -hmm. identifies uh, tax collectors and prostitutes in that sentence. Right. Um, so, uh, well, since we get to um, uh, experience the parable in, in, a, in, in a very Pauline way, we're gonna we're gonna hear it again. <laughs> yeah, uh, told slightly different uh, next week. I'll keep uh, I'll, I'll end it here, and we'll maybe we'll uh, do a little uh, a fun juxtaposition between the two, uh, or the, between the parables, uh, a comparison. Yeah, uh, uh, between this week and next week. Yes, uh, let's. So, so <laughs> let, let's let's plan on doing that. And in order to do that, you'll have to join us next week. Um, mm -hmm. But in the meantime. Uh, feel free to enjoy uh, uh, and, and look at all the things that we have on our website at hfec.org. Um, uh, the long version of that, if you enjoy typing, is holyfamilyfishers.org. Do I have that right? I think I do. Holy Family Fishers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, uh, there's a lot of things going on. We have uh, begun our uh, quote-unquote back-to-school programming, I believe. Yeah. Um, so we've got adult formation, and we've got children's ministry and youth group going on. Uh, there's links to a lot of uh, things that are that are occurring. Uh, if you uh, if you are the um, attend in person sort, we had good news this past week that we are sharing that the. Uh, October fourth, we're gonna, we're, we're we've gotten permission to begin doing in person. I'm gonna say that in kind of quotes and italics, <laughs> italics, uh, but in person worship outside. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much you. Uh, what all do you want to say about that? I, I'm trying well, to remember what was in the announcement that was. Sure. Out, but. We're still working out the exact details, so keep an eye on the parish website, social media. If you're a parishioner on, on the email list, you'll get direct email updates. But um, we will have worship. We will not have uh, sharing of the Eucharist, but we will have, by coincidence, blessing of the animals, because it's also St. Francis Day. 
So not only can people come back wearing masks, socially distanced, but you can, you are encouraged to bring your pets. And I will fling holy water more than six feet in order to bless <laughs> each pet. And so I bet everyone's going to get blessed. We, we did get an industrial-sized super soaker in the form of a hyssop branch. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, no. Um, uh, but, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll be doing some outside. You watch. It'll, it'll, it'll downpour rain or something. Uh, yeah, in which case but, we'll just cancel it. We'll just cancel it. Um, but uh, um, we're looking forward to kind of figuring out what we can and cannot do. Yeah. Um, uh, in regards uh, to, to that, uh, but we'll continue to be providing uh, online um, uh, uh, services, uh, not recycled, you know, uh, normal service material um, uh, every week uh, for, for those of you who can't uh, or decide not to attend yeah. in person. Perfectly yeah, it, understandable, perfectly fine. Yeah, it uh, counts either way. <laughs> it counts. It counts. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll have a, all of that still. And there and there's weeks past on uh, HFEC videos on YouTube. That's our YouTube channel. So feel free to uh, check that out. I think that there's a lot of links on the website to uh, yep. worship services past. Um, and our can, live watch party is Sunday mornings at nine a.m. Yep. And I believe I can't say for sure, but I believe we'll keep those going. Um, even after we're worshiping in person, that uh, we'll do that. And then probably our in-person worship will be at 10 a.m. Uh, but mm -hmm. keep an eye on the website. All that may change. We, we haven't figured out all the bells and whistles yet. Yeah, much like uh, the whole of 2020. Subject yes. to change. Um, yes. <laughs> we are all adapting, uh, and, and, and uh, it's important uh, to, to do so. So, um, be on the lookout for a lot of that uh, coming up. We're very excited about it. Um, and until next week, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.